All right, we are in uh, Jude. Uh, we have one more week after today in Jude, depending. We, if we get sidetracked, it may go longer than that. But um, most of you have been here at least one of the two Sundays. Jude is a book which is written to uh, encourage the saints to fight against apostasy um, and false teaching. But unlike most of the other books that deal with that topic, we don't know what the heresy is that Jude is concerned with, and he doesn't tell us. Uh, we can speculate, it was probably Gnosticism, but that's actually not the point. The point isn't that this is how you fight this particular error. The point of Jude is this is how you recognize false teachers. This is what you see in them that causes you to say this is a false teacher. And the heart of the book, the meat of the book, is what we're gonna go through today. Um, he's going to outline three characteristics, which I I'll tell you, I've struggled this week because they're very clear, and yet they, they also have to be subtle in the person's life. We're going to need discernment to see this. Um, and that's because, well, we'll get to that in a second. So you can be thinking perhaps even of experiences in your own life where you've seen this happen, where you've experienced false teaching and see if what Jude is saying doesn't ring true for you. I can think of a few in my past um, as I was thinking through Jude, but of course you're seeing it without quite as much time to think about it. Uh, the book of Jude begins giving us this three word summary of what it means to be a Christian. Anybody remember it? I hope. We are called, loved, and kept. Um, that's what we are as believers. We are called people, we are loved by God, we are kept by God. And so that's a wonderful little three word description. This is who you are. And he starts out with that because we're gonna be talking about apostasy. And this is how we have assurance of our own salvation. If we know Christ, we're called and we're loved and we're kept. Uh, last week we were told to contend for the faith. Um, the, the word there is for the faith, not your faith, but the faith. Okay, you may want to contend for your faith as well, but that's not what he's telling us to do, contend for the faith. So we talked a little bit about what that is. Um, you have, I, I like going back to the five solas of the Reformation, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, to God's glory alone. So our salvation is in Christ alone. And by the way, that Christ is spelled out very clearly in the New Testament, the Son of God, who was both God and man, fully God, fully man, come in the flesh, died on the cross, was buried, raised again. If you start denying any of that, then you're not, it's not the same Christ. But Christ, salvation is through Christ alone, or uh, in Christ alone, uh, through uh, faith alone, by grace alone, as revealed in the scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Hold to that and you will cling pretty tightly to the, the faith. Um, and then all the other doctrines that come along, some are uh, critical, some are a little bit more secondary, and we need wisdom and discernment there as well. These are, um, the faith is once for all delivered to the saints. That's important. Uh, we don't expect God to come along and give us anything new at this point. There is no <clears throat> 
There are no secrets in the Christian faith. Um, there might be things that are new to you that seem like a secret, but they've been there all along. <laughs> so somebody comes along and says, there's something brand new. No, it's all been in the book since the beginning. Uh, today, we are going to deal, though, with the meat of the book, which starts in verse 4 and goes through verse 16, although I don't know if we'll get quite that far. And it deals with, now, the opposite. What is it, who is it that we're contending against? And that would be apostates. And what do those people look like? So let's go ahead and read the book again. I know we've done that each week, but it's short enough. Starting in verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, uh, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, though I is very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus Christ, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those that did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he kept in eternal chains, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. <clears throat> they are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, <clears throat> casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly pa passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, <clears throat> building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. 
Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, <coughs> majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Um, we're going to start at verse 4. And verse 4 gives us an outline for everything that will be, most of what will be discussed. I shouldn't say everything, most of what will be discussed as we go along. First thing that we see in verse 4 is that these people creep in unnoticed. And it says they have crept in unnoticed. It's possible, it's possible that um, we have people who've crept in unnoticed into our church. Doesn't mean that every church has these, but if they do, they creep in unnoticed. Now, what does that mean, they creep in unnoticed? What does that tell you about them? They look like everybody else. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Um, so one of the things you're going to find as we go through here, what Jude says is actually peeling back who they are. But it may not appear to us to be that way. You're going to have to be looking for clues about this. And we're, we're going to have to be discerning as we deal with these people. Um, who are apostates. And then it tells us, as we mentioned last week, they were long ago designated for condemnation. They are anything but this. They're not called, loved, and kept. These are people who have been set aside for destruction. These are unbelievers. Um, and they are unbelievers, not just pagans who are outside of the church, but they are people who are in the church with the purpose of bringing in false doctrine. The question is, why would they want to do that? And the answer will be given. Um, it says, these are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to put this as three categories. These people are ungodly. Um, they are uh, marked by sensuality, appealing to those the, the, the flesh. And they are... Um, they deny authority. Now, it may be that one or all of those are true of them. My guess is all of them are, but some of them will be the ones that show up more, more often. Uh, this one here, ungodly, um, that the actual word is impious. It doesn't mean that they would come and tell us that they're atheists, but they don't um, that they're ungodly in the sense that God isn't the focus of their life. They don't worship God. They don't um, care about God in their life and his impact on them is not to change who they are. Um, the example of somebody who's ungodly is actually going to be Cain. And Cain is one who probably believed very strongly that there was a God because he spoke with them. Okay, but he would still be counted as ungodly. Um, in verses 5 through 7, he is going to give an example from the Old Testament of each one of these. And then he's going to give us a name to go with each one. And he's going to spend a little bit of time talking about um, the mindset of a person who is an apostate and how they think. 
So starting with verse five, he says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Our first example, I believe of ungodly is the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. And what it tells us is they did not believe And because of that, they were destroyed. Okay? The Israelites came out of Egypt, did not believe, and were destroyed. Interesting little side note. Who brought them out of Egypt? Yeah, who, what does it say in here? Jesus brought them out of Egypt. Isn't that kind of, when you read it, you think, no, wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus wasn't around yet. Well, yes, he was. He's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. He delivered them out of Egypt. Um, it was Jesus who brought them out. Um, let that just settle in there for a little bit, okay? Uh, yeah, it's God the Father, but God used his son to deliver them out of Egypt. We just studied through deliverance out of Egypt. Um, by the time that they had left Egypt, there was nothing left of Egypt, right? The population had been decimated. The firstborn of every household had died. Um, by the way, decimate means to kill one-tenth of the population. My guess is it's more than that. Every house had somebody who died. Um, that's a pretty amazing statement. Every house had somebody that died. All of the livestock was destroyed. There was no food, and their army is gone. What's left of Egypt? Nothing. And Egypt was the superpower. And then they come out into the wilderness, and God provides food for two million people and water for two million people, and quail for two million people. And then they go and they have the law presented and they go to go into the promised land and what do they do? Ooh, those people are too hard for God. <laughs> they were unbelievers. Now, they had seen all of it, but they were unbelievers. They chose not to believe and as a result, they were destroyed, right? That whole generation died in the wilderness. So each one, he's going to talk about what happens to them. Uh, the next one is, I think he jumps over and goes out of order. Uh, the next example is, he says, And the angels who did not stay within their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgments of that great day. So the example of denying authority is the angels who left their proper place. And the result of that was that they are kept in imprisoned, waiting judgment. Imprisoned. Okay, now the question is, what is this referring to? Um, a lot of scholars um, believe that this refers back to the situation in Genesis, where, remember Genesis 6, the sons of God visited the daughters of men, and those angels deserved a special con common common, uh, condemnation, not commendation, condemnation, and they were um, basically threw off something that had been established in authority. Um, I. I don't know if that's true or not, and it, to me it doesn't really matter. What we're doing is going all the way back to the seeds of 
of rebellion. Who's the first to rebel? Satan. And what, who rebelled with him was the angels. And they are under the sentence of condemnation. And so when we see somebody rejecting authority, their proper object that, is, that represents them is Satan and the demons to reject the authority that's over us. And by the way, if we want to talk about Genesis 6, some of you are going, oh yeah, let's jump into that. Uh, probably not super profitable for this morning, so talk to me about it afterwards, or um, maybe we can do a, maybe a guest speaker can talk about that. That'd be great. <laughs> All right, and then sensuality, the next one, and it's very obvious example is Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So the example here, this one was the Israelites, this is the angels who rebelled, and this, our picture is that of Sodom and Gomorrah with unnatural desires and sexual immorality. Um, by the way, just a little side note on here as well. Um, every once in a while, you'll read something, maybe you haven't, but I've seen it numerous times, where people are talking that maybe the Bible doesn't speak about homosexuality as sinful, maybe we've misinterpreted it, and they'll say that the, the, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not sexual immorality, but inhospitality. Has anybody ever seen that before? It was a sin of inhospitality because they refused to be hospitable. And there's actually a verse in um, one of the prophets that says that. Okay, they were inhospitable, but Jude tells us that they are characterized by their sexual immorality. So um, if somebody says that, you say, yes, but they are used as an example of those who are like false teachers in that they have... Um, unnatural desires, sexual immorality, which in their case was their homosexuality, and then what does it tell us that they are, what's the punishment for that? Um, they undergo a punishment of eternal fire. Uh, they were covered in brim, uh, fire and brimstone, but it's a punishment of eternal fire. All right, so there it is. Impious, sensuality, denying of authority. Um, the next section actually spends quite a bit of time talking about this one, the denial of authority, and we're going to run out of time, I can see that. It says, starting in verse 8, yet in like um, manner, these people also, um, relying on their own dreams, defile the flesh and reject authority. I actually think that relying on their own dreams fits here. They're, they're choosing their own thoughts and desires over God's. They're taking what they, they think and what they've seen in dreams and they put that before God. They have a higher authority than God, so you could say, well, maybe that goes over here. But, but their life is characterized not by serving God, but by um, what they think. And that I think that fits right in there. You can disagree with me if you want. If you want to put it over here, that's fine. Um, what's the next one that it says there? 
They defile the flesh. Defile the flesh. And finally, they reject authority. And then, not only do they reject authority, they blaspheme. Um, the glorious ones. Not just God. They blaspheme the glorious ones. And he's going to go on to tell us that the reason that they blaspheme the glorious ones is because they have no sense uh, that they are, they're like animals. They have no understanding of spiritual things. None. They are non-believers. They don't understand this book. They don't truly understand what it tells us. And as a result, they blaspheme things they don't even understand. And they're destroyed because of, of their lack of understanding. They only understand one thing. And that's their own appetites and that they are the center of everything. And as a result, they are marked out for condemnation. The example that he gives is really bizarre to me. But that means I don't understand it well because it's not bizarre. It's the right example. This is, this is scripture. He says, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Anybody know what he's talking about there? <laughs> kind of a weird verse. Uh, there's apocryphal literature, which tells us that, um, that we know, you should know from the Bible that when when Moses died, he went up onto the mountain, and he died, and God took care of the body, buried the body. The body wasn't taken up into heaven, but the body was buried. Um, but there's a, an apocryphal book, which is being quoted here. And by the way, apocryphal doesn't mean wrong, it just means it's not accepted in the canon of scripture. And the fact that this is quoted from it means this must be true. But it sounds like it was the archangel Michael, Michael, right, that was, came down to do that work of burying the body. And when he got there, Satan was there. And Satan wanted Moses' body. Why did Satan want Moses' body? Uh, maybe to set it up as an idol? Maybe to use it to mislead the people? We don't know, and we would just be speculating. The point of the story is, though, that Michael, who is a spiritual being, and unlike these people, understood the forces that he was dealing with, and instead of blaspheming, now I don't know how you blaspheme Satan, but instead of blasting him, I guess, he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. He doesn't take it upon himself to deal with Satan, okay? Um, but then he goes on and contrasts that, and he says, but these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. One of the marks of anybody who is an apostate is to not recognize any other authority over them. They're, they will deny authority. They will blaspheme things they don't understand. They don't understand a lot because they're not Christian. They're not spiritual. They don't have the, the word of God, the spirit of God living in them. And they end up blaspheming things that they don't understand. Um, and 
I was, I, I read an interesting story this week, and I don't know if this shines light on it at all, but I was having trouble wrapping my mind around this. And it was a pastor who was saying he was at a, somewhere and heard a guy talk about a demon possession. And he said, he, whether the story is true or not, I don't know. He used this as an example of someone who misunderstood what the, um, was blaspheming things that he didn't understand. He said he walked into the room and this little boy was having these seizures and convulsions. Um, and the room was ice cold and the furniture was all levitating. Okay, now you, you decide for yourself whether this actually happened. Okay, I have my own ideas. But anyways, this is the story that he's telling. And he goes in and he tells his congregation, it's a, it's a radio uh, man speaking on the radio. He says, um, I rebuked him in the name of Jesus. And immediately the boy stopped seizing and the room got warm and all the furniture dropped. But when it dropped, it fell all over and stuff fell out of the drawers. And he said, I leaned out the window and I yelled, and you get back here and put this furniture back where it's supposed to be. Okay. He said, when I heard that, this pastor, he said, I, I thought of this passage. <laughs> this is a man who doesn't know what he's, what he's dealing with, who is, um, is uh, not, not just claiming God's authority, but now becoming like this person. I don't know if that's a great example or not, but that was an interesting story to me in terms of, in terms of that. Um, so let me, let me finish and then we'll take some comments here. Uh, we aren't going to get all the way through it. I can see that. Verse 11 says, woe to them. And uh, woe is when you're pronouncing the harshest judgment that you can. When Jesus said, woe to you, when it's woe, that's what happens in Revelation. The woes, this means bad things are coming. Woe to you, judgment is coming. For they walked in the way of Cain. And I think he's going to now mention three apostates. Um, the first one is Cain, and it says they walked in the way of Cain. All right, and second, it says that they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain and followed in the way of Balaam. Um, they abandoned themselves. for gain. And then finally, the last one is they perish in Korah's rebellion. So Korah is the next one, and they perish in his rebellion. All right, so there's actually a progression here. They walk, they abandon themselves, and they perish. And it's Cain, Balaam, and Korah. So with what little time we have left, let's think about these men. And then maybe next week we'll pull this together because we're really just laying out what he's telling us here. Um, what is the sin of Cain? Apart from killing his brother. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Uh, but that's Cain. What, did, what, what is sin's, the Cain's original sin? What is it that he did? He didn't bring a proper sacrifice. And if you just read Genesis, you might think, well, it was kind of the luck of the draw. One got lucky and one didn't. But that's not how God operates. Um, we get to um, the faith chapter in Hebrews, 
And it says, by faith, um, Abel brought a better sacrifice. And in Romans, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There must have been some instruction. What Cain did was he said, I know what God told me to do, but I want to worship him my way. I want to do this my way. I want, now you could say that spills over into authority, and I'm sure they all have ultimately the rejection of God. But what you have is a man who says, I'll worship God, but it's my way of worship, not his way. Okay? And that was Cain. Cain goes down as the first apostate. He is the first one who's cursed, um, well, after Adam and Eve, but he's cursed in the sense that he is marked out. Everybody can see what he's done after that. Um, apostates will be like that. They will not be satisfied with what God has said, and they want to add to it or take away from it or change it. Um, the sensuality, we go to Balaam. Everybody remember Balaam? What's Balaam famous for? If you go, came through Sunday school. He, the donkey talked to him, right? Um, but why did the donkey talk to him? Well, the story of Balaam, if you want it, go back to Numbers 22, 23, and 24. Balaam was a prophet of God. No, a prophet. Not necessarily of God, but he was a prophet. And there's things there that we don't fully understand. But um, when the Israelites were passing through Moab, God, um, the king of Moab, whose name was Balak, said, I don't want them in my land. And he hired Balaam hired Balaam to come and curse Israel. And you remember what happens, right? He comes up and he tries to curse him and what happens? He blesses him instead. So he doesn't get his money. So he tries a second time. And then he tries a third time and that's when the donkey crushes his leg and tells him there's an angel up there. And then the angel lets him go. And he blesses Israel three times. And you think, okay, that's a pretty good story. But we find out later that what he did was he said to the king, to Balak, I know how to destroy the people. Anybody remember? How does he destroy them? He asked them to, it tells them to have the women of Moab seduce the men of Israel and intermarry with them which is God is keeping them as a pure nation. So before they even get there, they're already being impure. And then in Revelation, it says he also enticed them to eat a food that had been sacrificed to idols. So what he does, what Balaam does, for the sake of gain, he causes destruction. He comes in and he spreads um, the seeds of destruction through sensuality. So Balaam's a perfect example of this one right here. He was money hungry, and he used sexual immorality to destroy the people, all right? And then lastly, we have Korah. Um, and you, <coughs> excuse me, you perish in Korah's rebellion. So um, who is Korah? Anybody remember that name? So what happened? Yeah, they got swallowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is Korah's rebellion. And Korah came along and he said, he actually, if you read the story, he was, uh, should have been, he was a Levite, 
but he was denied being able to serve in the temple. So there must have been something not quite right. Well, that bothered him. So he decided to re rebel against Moses. And he got with him two other men, Abiathar and somebody else. And, and then they got another 250 men. And their mantra was, we're all holy. All the people are holy. Isn't that a great thing? We're all holy. We're all set apart. So why is Moses more holy than the rest of us? Well, you answer the question. Why is Moses the one who is the leader? Because God chose him, right? But they said, why does Moses get to be the leader? And Moses, in his great humility, says, let God decide. I'll stand here. You people stand over there. And what happens? The ground opens up. They fall in and the ground closes, buried alive. Um, amazing. And then 15,000 people are killed afterwards. Actually, 15,000 people died in Korah's rebellion. Um, you will always see false teachers deny authority. When people are heading toward apostasy, authority is always going to be challenged. Um, and I've, I've seen that, not necessarily with apostates, but people who did damage to the church. It came about because of a, a lack of being willing to be in authority to the people who were over them. Um, we, we sometimes have trouble with authority but there's a lot of authority structure that we're supposed to be obedient to. And if you find people that are denying the authority that's over them, watch out for that person. Uh, well, let's just take a second. What authority structures are there that we're supposed to be obedient to? Okay, we've got government. The government is established by God and we are to be obedient to the government, except when it goes contrary to God, because then they have usurped their authority. Um, and we do not have to obey a government that is telling us to do things that are contrary to, or, or giving us orders that are contrary to what God's law says. Um, and that's true of all authority, by the way. What's the other? Uh, Kirk mentioned it. Family. family. There's an authority structure in the family. Children are to be in, uh, under subjection to their parents, wives under, under their husbands. Husbands. Um, are the head of the house and are supposed to be um, ruling it according. And a lot of times that, that authority falls apart and you don't have to obey an unjust authority in terms of doing something that's contrary to the will of God. What about the church? See, here's where it's gonna come in. What's the authority structure in the church? The elders, yeah, well, you'd have the apostles and apostles and prophets, but in the local church, you're going to have your elders who are responsible for the administration and church discipline. And the, the congregation is asked to submit to the loving oversight of the elders. Um, that's one of the first places where a false teacher or an apostate will attack, is that. Um, I was at um, a church, we grew up, April and I, at Calvary Church down in Santa Ana. And it, it went through some difficult times and then was kind of rebuilding, but there was a whole bunch of ABF, they didn't call them ABF back then, it was just adult Sunday school. But anyways, it was Sunday school classes and there were like 20 of these classes and they met at different times because of the, the housing, the room situation. So there was a 9.30 and 11 o'clock service, 
So you either went to Sunday school at 9.30 and church at 11 or Sunday school, church at 9.30 and Sunday school at 11, okay? So, um, and this one Sunday school class had grown gigantic, so much so that it was in the old sanctuary. There were like four or 500 people in this class. And so we had friends that went to it. And we got to that class one Sunday and the next Sunday or a couple Sundays down the road, they were gonna have an all church gathering. Okay, so they were gonna take everybody and instead of having Sunday school and church, they were gonna have Sunday school at 10 o'clock, Sunday school and church. Everybody was gonna to be together. So, because everybody was always separated. And I remember being in that Sunday school class and the, the teacher of that Sunday school class said, what right do they have to tell us that we can't meet for Sunday school? And they were trying to decide how they could continue to meet. And I thought, whoa, this is dangerous. Uh, these are the elders who've said, this is what we want to do. It's not unbiblical. They want to bring the whole church together. And you've got a, a man standing up there saying, we're going to figure out how to defy this authority. I'm not saying he was an apostate, but boy, uh, the antenna should go up at that point where you should go, something's not right here. Some, something, something's dangerous going on, okay? So we're out of time. This is the outline for it. And now it's time to think of some examples. So maybe that's the assignment for this week. Uh, ha have you seen people who've come along? Some of you had closer experience with that. Others, some of you may have dealt with that yourself. Um, uh, how do we see this manifest in people? But this is what we're watching for. Are they ungodly? Are they relying on their own dreams? Do they not truly believe? Do they want to worship God their own way, regardless of whatever? Are they sensual? Are they in it for the money? Are they in it for their own pleasure? Is, is that something that is characterizing them? And by the way, that's gonna be hard to spot because that'll often be hidden, right? Um, that was the example I used of Paul Crouch with his, um, I, I think a lot of, as I'm thinking of these, the health and wealth gospel, right? Prosperity gospel. <clears throat> um, watch the radio preachers, uh, not all of them, but a lot of uh, the uh, televangelists, the boy, they, they fall into this category a lot and swing over here. You know, a lot of them are doing it for the money and you're giving them money, but you keep wondering, why am I sending them money? I'm sending them money so that they have more money so that they can continue to ask for more money. It's kind of what it seems like. It's this vicious cycle. Give us money so we can be on the air to ask for more money. And then this one, I think, becomes characteristic of all of them. De denying of the authority, eventually setting themselves up that, that I don't need to be accountable to anybody else. I, I, am, I am my own authority. So... We didn't get as far as I wanted, but I knew there was a lot there to go through. Any comments or questions at this point? Yeah, Kirk? I think these categories are really great and useful for examples of showing a range of you know, emphasis. But what I see is kind of a, uh, a theme where they all have these in common, where these are ungodly people who pervert and deny authority. So it is one sentence describing all of them. Yeah. Know, the Israelites were... And if you say rather than sensuality, it's really they're following their own appetites and desires of the way they think they should be. Well, that's ungodly. That perverts authority and denies the authority. Yeah. And I think the example, you know, like the, the, the church where we have the transgender or homosexual church, right? Well, that's 
but certainly ungodly. It's following the way they think should be according to sensual matters, and it denies the authority of Scripture. But I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. And I, I would agree with you. I don't think these. I don't think you find somebody who's ungodly without having these two. Obviously, if you're ungodly, you are denying God's authority over you. And if you're denying God's authority, then your life will become one where it's focused on yourself. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, a great way to deny authority, this one that we've talked about already, is to simply say, well, you know, the Bible has some errors in it because now you're placing yourself as the authority over, over Scripture. It's really a significant error. And it's the one that, that's how they crept in unnoticed in our churches. That, that's how in, our, in, in the 20th century, a lot of error came in. You know, the Bible's a pretty good book, but you know, there's some places where we, we need to, yeah, that doesn't really apply anymore. That doesn't mean what it says. And, and all of a sudden the Bible is no longer there. So who's the authority? That's the pastor, and he gets to talk about whatever he wants to. Rod? I have truly needed what you were talking about today. Prison is the concentration of hell. And you find Satan at every level. I'm in the yard in Kalinga, where I was told by the lieutenant that homosexuality is probably the most prevalent in that yard in in the area that was some time ago but friday night i had a guy from the house of yahweh come on in uh, he's been there a number of times i've had guys who are fighting reformers who can't take the solaces and understand the solaces or agree to them but they're all in the same room attack and it's just amazing I walked away from there Friday night for the first time being bored totally bored and I said Lord what's the, what's going on in my head here mm-hmm. and and I think it could have been the fact that Satan is attacking my head with what's going on in that that particular yard yeah. it is ugly in there and that's why at the end of the book, we're going to talk about how to do that. And the first thing is to protect your own, make sure your own soul is right. I, I went and looked uh, uh, into this uh, online this morning on, into the house of Yahweh. And the guy who started that has all these characteristics. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. Me, he believes in, he's one of the two chosen in uh, Revelation that... Uh, supposed to speak the word it, it's just amazing and this this the fellow that talks in there he is articulate like you can never believe yeah and lead people astray yeah notice nowhere in here it says they're not intelligent no one in here no what nothing here says they're not tricky nothing says that this is all going to be laid out in front of you but these are the characteristics that we watch for and we watch for them in our own lives too. We're, we're, we have to be careful because we lend at these ways. If you've never had the temptation to deny authority, I just want to meet you, right? Because that's who we are. And the temptation to sensuality and the temptation to say, God, I want to do it my way. I, I'm, I'm impious. I want, to, I want me to be in charge of how I worship you. Uh, we, we, we battle with these things too, but fortunately we are called, loved, and, and kept and God takes care of us.
But this is a very real threat. And like I said, it's easy to miss it because we don't necessarily have somebody right now that you know who's following this, but this is what we watch for. So any other comments before we finish? We'll have to spend time next week with this. We're about halfway through this, this section and he's gonna give a number of other examples um, about what it means to be, what these people end up doing to our congregation, our church, so. Okay, let's close in prayer.